fucked up in the video. I forgot I'm supposed to talk. <laughs> hey, uh, welcome everybody. Welcome to our, our guest. Glad that you're here. Welcome to everybody online. We always hope that you'll be able to join us soon in person. Don't know where, where you stand with Jesus at this point. Um, but the truth is, it's been that way from the beginning. People have been confused and He's a contentious subject, he's a controversial guy, and uh, he's somebody that had been prophesied for a long time, that the, the, the one would show up, the, the promised one, the Messiah, and yet when he showed up, people didn't recognize him, which so many great modern stories are based on that same premise of a prophesied one showing up to rescue people, to set things right, you know, to right the wrongs. Think about even some of our more modern stories. Uh, Lord of the Rings, any Lord of the Ring fans, right? You, you had um, the people of Middle-earth were waiting for the prophesied one to show up, the return of the king who would, uh, who would make all things right. And nobody really recognized this wandering ranger named Aragorn, that he would be the one to help deliver them. That You think of um, the Matrix, right? how uh, the people were enslaved by the machines, and there's this computer programmer, this nobody named Thomas Anderson, who uh, turns out to be the prophesied one who would show up and free the people from their enslavement and their dystopian simulation. But they didn't recognize him at the time, and still he, still he became this miracle-working Neo, the one. Think about Star Wars, right? The, the prophesied one who would come and restore balance to the force. And many thought at the beginning it could be Anakin Skywalker. Uh, but then, you know, he turns to the dark side and Obi-Wan despairs, but you were the chosen one. And, of course, at the end, turns back to the good side and he really was the prophesied one. You, th you think of well, Harry Potter fans. You know, you have this little boy born and gets this scar on his forehead. He's the one that's prophesied who would uh, be able to have victory over the Dark Lord. So all these great stories have this prophesied one. And Jesus is, of course, the, the real deal here. He had been prophesied in the Hebrew Scriptures for a long time. But nobody really knew that's who he was. Certainly other than, you know, the birth stories, the few who knew about that, and this one little incident when he was 12, I mean, he just grew up like any other kid. His family didn't believe in him. His, his hometown didn't believe in him. It's just this little obscure village, this kid living a simple life. But when he grows up and he begins publicly teaching and performing miracles, then some people begin to believe maybe this is the one that we have been waiting for all this time. Others, like the Jewish religious scholars, said, no, he can't possibly be the one. He, he's nothing more than a dangerous fraud. Some want to kill him for saying that uh, he's God. Some recognize that he could be the Messiah, but they don't want him to be the Messiah because he's not the kind of Messiah that they've been expecting. Others are just jealous of him and uh, you know, are threatened by his authority. And then a whole bunch of other people are just confused. They don't know what to think about him. So this is the controversial Jesus we meet in this passage who's causing all this confusion and contention among the divided crowds. We saw Jesus enter this Jewish festival called the Feast of Booths or Tabernacles or Tents. The Jews have been camping out for about a week in Jerusalem and Jesus shows up and people are divided. Last week we saw how some thought he was, uh, he was a bad guy. He's, 
he's crazy, he's demon-possessed. Others say, no, he's a good guy, uh, he, he's a prophet, he's maybe the Messiah. Some just dismiss him. Others are, 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 uh, are, are digging him, they're into him. They think he's, he's, he's really the guy to, to look for. Others just despise him. So the thinking is either he, he's mad or he's bad or he's God. So some are astounded. They see him out here in the open doing all these, these things. He's teaching, and they're thinking, isn't this a guy they're all trying to kill? He's got this big target on his back, and they're letting him get away with it. Nobody's doing anything to stop him. Could it be maybe they, they're coming around, they think he could be legit? Maybe they think he's the Messiah now. Or maybe just the religious authorities are cowed by Jesus. They're afraid of him too, but they're definitely confused. Because they thought the prophecy said the one would have these origins. Because we love origin stories, right? Where did the hero, the savior, come from? Their humble beginnings. Well, they thought the Messiah had to be a descendant of King David. Jesus was, but they just didn't know that. Uh, they, they thought that he had to come from Bethlehem, the city of David. And, and Jesus was. But most people didn't know that. They thought he was from up north in, in Galilee. He's from Nazareth. So they're curious about him, but they're not convinced because he doesn't seem to match up with the prophecies. That's why Jesus says, you know me, but you don't know me. You think you know my origins, but you don't. Like, I really was born in Bethlehem, just like the prophecies say. But more than that, uh, his, his full origin story they know nothing about, right? That's why John starts off his gospel, chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus' real origin story is from eternity. He is God in the flesh. So they don't really know him. Jesus says, my Father, God, sent me here. And you don't really know him because you don't know me, which is a pretty hardcore thing to say to fellow Jewish believers. Like, you don't know the one true God. Like, out of all the people on earth, we're the ones that know God. No, you don't because you don't know me. And that's what's leading to all this muttering among the crowd and plots to, to take him out. Okay, so it's clear he's saying, I am divine. The authorities want to grab him, but they're not doing anything about it. Many there are believing because, like, who could do more miracles than this guy? He's got to be the Messiah. So that's shaking up the authorities a lot. We've got to do something about this. We've got we to take this guy out. They send the temple guards out to arrest him, but nothing happens. Now, you could explain it that they're just afraid of the crowds, but the truth is God's preventing it from happening. It's not time yet. It's going to happen. Jesus is going to get arrested about six months later, but now ain't the time. He's got a little bit of time left, and that's why he's telling them, like, I'm not going to be around much longer, and where I'm going, you're not going to be able to go. And the crowd's thinking, well, are, is he leaving Israel? Is he going to go into the Greek and Gentile lands and talk to the Jews who live there instead? No. Jesus means I'm really going home. I'm returning to heaven to be with my Father. My time is short. And in reality, Jesus isn't the one in danger with a bullseye on his back. It's really all the people who disbelieve him, who dismiss him. 
who are trying to silence him and stop him. They're the ones really in trouble because Jesus is going home to prepare a place for those who follow him. But for those who don't, there's a different place they're heading. And that's why our big idea is to come to Christ while there's time. You never know how much time you have. That's why Jesus stands up on the final day of this feast, the biggest day of all. And the crowds are, are getting ready to pack up their tent equipment and head back home. But before they do, he stands up and calls out in verses 37 to 39, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive later. For as yet the spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. All right, so why the imagery of the flowing river of water? I think a couple reasons. Apparently, according to tradition, on the last day of the feast, there was this big water ceremony that took place where uh, a priest would get a golden pitcher and travel down the mountain. You see the temple at the top of the hill. He traveled down the hill there to the pool of Siloam. And he would fill up that pitcher with water from the pool while all the people around him are chanting the words from Isaiah 12:3. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Now that was a messianic prophecy about the one who was to come and make things right who would deliver them, free them, save them, and they were praising God and thanking God for this one to come. So then the priest and the crowd would travel back up the hill to the temple, to the altar, and there would be a container that he would pour the water from the pitcher into, which was to represent, if you know the story, back in the Old Testament, Moses strikes a rock with a stick and water flows out. This was to represent that when the Messiah shows up, the one, he will cause water to flow from the temple. So it's quite likely that's what the people are watching when Jesus starts talking about the water. He stands up and says, if anybody's thirsty, let him come to me, right? I am the stream that's going to flow from the temple. Another reason why I think he might use this imagery is because of the importance of water. Water is life, especially back then in the Middle East, you know, in the, the dry desert. You had to have water nearby. You had to have a river or you had to have a lake. And if you didn't have those, then you had to make sure you had a very good well because without water, you die. Now, that, we take that for granted because wherever we go, we've got water on tap. Pretty much everywhere. No big deal to us. But if you look back on, you know, in history, look at your maps. Anywhere a, a city is built, it's always built where there's water, right? It's always by a river or by a lake. Plenty of fresh water to drink. I mean, going all the way back to the beginning, Garden of Eden. What's in the garden? A river flowing out and becoming four more rivers. Where are we? Detroit area. What do we got? Detroit is built by the Detroit River and two Great Lakes. Because, you know, when you think of the Garden of Eden, the very next thing you think of is Detroit. So we got rivers everywhere around here, right? Down here in the south, we got the Huron River. Up northern down river, we got what? The River Rouge. You got the Ecorse River. You got the Marsh Creek and all. So we've got all this water 
all around us. Um, we're a water planet. I mean, that's what's unique about Earth is it's the water planet. God made life here possible through water. It's everywhere. Now, that's not true anywhere else. Now, they think they might have found a little bit of water somewhere on Mars, right? Or some distant planet, maybe some little sign of, of water. But come on, this is where you find the water. Oceans covering so much of the planet, which always confused me as a kid. You see these people, you know, out on a life raft in the middle of the ocean and dying of dehydration. They, they can't drink anything. I'm like, you idiot, there's water everywhere. Just drink the ocean. Of course, I didn't realize that it's salt water, which means salt draws water out of your cells so they, they wither and die. So you gotta have plenty of fresh water. You gotta have a river flowing somewhere because we are water, right? Our bodies are 60% water. To be healthy, you gotta stay well hydrated. And what's they saying? You gotta drink how many cups of water a day? How many glasses? Eight glasses? I don't know. It, you know, it's more or less something like that. They say, I guess the average woman needs 15 and a half uh, or 11 and a half cups. I think men need 15 and a half cups, whatever. You gotta, gotta keep drinking a lot of water. Just last night, somebody asked me, uh, do you drink a lot of water? And I'm, yeah, but most of it is filtered through beans that have been roasted. Yes, I drink water all day long. But yes, I do, I do drink, you know, I drink plenty of bottled water, which is crazy. Any of you of a certain age know the thought of paying money for a bottle of water was ridiculous. Who would do that when you've got all this practically free water flowing out of your tap? But here we are. Everybody drinks bottled water, including me now. And folks, I gotta tell you, primarily because I just don't trust how old those Detroit pipes are. I don't know what's flowing through those things. And I, they said, well, bottled water is just tap water. It's just purified tap water. Well, that may be, but <clears throat> I don't know. There's some, it's not Perrier. I mean, I'm not paying a bunch of money. I'm not buying Bling water. And yes, there is a brand called Bling water because they charge you 40 bucks. They put it in a wine bottle and serve it to you. But no, this is just normal old water. But you don't have water, you die, right? You can't function without it. That's why we got water stored up in the basement. You got extra water on hand? You better, because you never know when you're going to need some water. So Jesus is comparing the Holy Spirit to water. That's how vital he is. Now John's saying, look, uh, you don't have the Holy Spirit yet. That's not going to happen until Jesus dies and rises again. Now in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came upon just a select few people for a certain amount of time and for certain tasks. Judges, prophets, kings, only they had the Holy Spirit for a while. But when Jesus institutes the new covenant through his death and resurrection, a big part of our new covenant is the Holy Spirit that each and every believer receives as filled with the life-giving spirit permanently who helps us to live for Christ. So when you come to faith, you repent, you get baptized, lowered into water, and then raised up out of the water. It's important. The Holy Spirit and water are connected in so many places. Think back to John 3. We already saw how Nicodemus showed up. He's in our passage today too. He's one of those Jewish leaders who approaches Jesus and Jesus says, you must be born again. What? Yes, you must be born of water and the Spirit. They go together. 
You know, in, in Acts chapter 2, Peter's speaking to the crowd. What do we do? He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. They go together. Later in Acts 3, the next chapter, Peter says, repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, forgiveness, and times of what? Refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. What's he talking about? That's the Holy Spirit. And then he says this, Paul, in, in Titus 3, verses 5 and 6. In fact, we'll all say this out loud together. That Jesus saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. See, poured out regeneration, renewal, refreshment. That's what the Holy Spirit does for your parched soul in the arid desert of your arid spirit. This is, you're quenched what you really need. Life-giving water poured out in you and through you. Think back just to, to chapter four of John and Jesus is meeting with the woman at the well. Water, she's drawn out water and he says, if you had asked me, I would have given you what? Living water. So now that artesian well has turned into a flowing river and we are a channel for that to a thirsty world. So Jesus said about drinking from living of water, living water, he, that's stirring up a lot of contention and confusion as well and that's why some are saying, well this guy, he, he's like nobody else, he's, he's got to be the great prophet Moses foretold. Others are like, no, he's, he's probably the Messiah. And so uh, he was both, but they still were unsure about it because they're saying, well, hold on. He's from Nazareth. He's from Galilee. He's not from Bethlehem. He, he can't be the Messiah. So out of that division, three times in this passage it says they tried to arrest him, but for some reason nobody does, right? Well, we know why. God's preventing it. But the guards report back why didn't you grab him? So well, we never heard anybody like this. You sure about this guy? I mean, there's a lot of people think he's the Messiah. Wow, look at look at what he's doing. Listen to his teaching. They were in awe by it. We can't arrest him, which just ticked off the religious leaders even more. They're already totally frustrated and annoyed by this, but now they're publicly embarrassed that their own guards won't arrest the guy. So now you can see them really. You know, the sarcasm and the sneering and the snarling comes out. Who do you think you are? You think you know more than we do? We're the educated elite rulers of these people, and who are you? You're just guards? Nobody believes in this guy. None of us do. You think you know more than us? These fools out here who are following Jesus are uneducated. They're under a curse. They don't know anything. They're, they're following a fraud. So they're trying to discredit the people by calling them uneducated, which is what some religious elites still do today, right? So we send our leaders off to Christian schools, supposedly, Bible colleges, and the prestigious professors there end up messing them up more than when they went in. They turn out worse than when they went in because sitting at the feet of these Progressive, impressive professors 
leads them further away from Scripture and away from Christ because these guys have gotten in there and through their great learning have found ways to misinterpret, reinterpret, and revise Scripture to make it fit what they already think and to redefine Jesus in a way that he would agree with them. So they're the false teachers. These religious leaders in Jesus' day were the ones that were in the wrong. They didn't understand their own Scriptures. Their bias has blinded them to the evidence that Jesus really was who he claimed to be because his miracles and his ministry was unmistakable evidence. So when one of the, their own speaks up on behalf of Jesus, they try to shut him up. Who is it? Nicodemus, same guy, Jesus, you got to be born again. Well, he became a secret disciple of Jesus. And so he, he speaks up and he says, hey, you know what? Um, we're really not supposed to be condemning Jesus without a trial here, guys. That's what the law of Moses says. So how about we give this guy a fair trial first? And you can hear the, the snottiness come out of those leaders again. Who do you think you are? Of, of, we've already made up our minds. We already know better. Jesus is guilty. And for pointing out the truth of what they should have been doing, Instead of answering Nicodemus's argument, they just attack him, which is just an old debate trick. When you don't have a good answer, just attack your opponent. Shut him down. You, well, you, you, you from Galilee too? You one of these uneducated idiots out in the crowd? Come on. We know Jesus can't be the Messiah. So that's why Nicodemus, we, we can figure it out. He's, he's been a secret disciple because it was risky to come out to let everybody know I'm a Jesus follower because you could lose everything. I mean, how many people right now, right now here, may be secret disciples? I mean, you're out. Everybody knows right now. But tomorrow at work, nobody knows you're a Christian. You've kept that pretty well hidden because it's too risky to come out to your friends and coworkers and colleagues because you might lose your position or at least your prestige. You might be ridiculed and you might be outcast. Now, not only were those religious leaders wrong about their scriptures, they were wrong that no, none of us believe. Obviously, at least Nicodemus and probably some others did too. But, but wait a minute, the scriptures say he can't come from Galilee. But really, all they're doing is trying to find a way to demean Jesus without investigating. Right? It's like when Philip... You remember when Philip became a disciple of Jesus and he goes and finds his buddy Nathaniel? He says, hey, come on, we found the one, the prophesied one, Jesus of Nazareth. And Nathaniel says, what? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? See, he didn't even bother. Just dismiss him out of hand. So the Jewish authorities, they dismiss all this because, hey, we know better than you. We know the scriptures you don't. And really, that's what still goes on today. I, I would say most Jewish people still don't receive Jesus because they don't think he matches up with their prophecies. Uh, they might say, well, he's, he's a fraud, he's a false prophet, he's, he's a bad guy. They might, even, they might say, well, Jesus is a good guy, he's just been misunderstood. And the same thing would be true among Muslims, maybe a little bit better because Muslims would say, Jesus is a good guy, he's a, he's a prophet, but there's no way he's God. It doesn't matter what religion you take part in if you don't understand who Jesus is if you don't accept him as the son of God then you don't know the scriptures and you don't know God himself all stand condemned before God for rejecting Jesus so don't let that happen to you that you commit the same 
blunder that they did and let your prejudices and biases keep you from believing in Jesus. Check it out for yourself. Examine the evidence. Read the documents. Don't let this happen to you because the first time he came, yes, he was rejected. He was resisted. But he's coming back again. We don't know when. It could be today. And there will be nobody rejecting him or resisting him then. But it will be too late. You never know how much time you have. This could be your last time, your last chance. You never know. I, it's, it's like I hear some people say, I didn't realize that would be the last time I saw my parents alive. You didn't know that was the last time. It was a surprise when it happened, right? You might not know the last time you ever get to kiss your spouse. The last time you didn't know was the last time. You thought it was just another time. You thought you'd have plenty more times. No, that was it. For some, this might be your last Sunday here. Now, it might be your last Sunday here because you're saying, I'm never coming back to this church again and listening to that guy. But it may be your last Sunday any church, okay? I like to say it's always somebody's first Sunday here, but you know what? It may be somebody's last Sunday here. The clock is ticking on this world and on your life. Time is counting down. And all that really matters in the end is what do you believe about Jesus? You may have your opinion about him right now. You may dismiss him. But not all opinions are equal. Not all opinions are right. So I said, who's the greatest singer? We all have different opinions on that, right? But what does it matter? If I'm wrong, there are no consequences to that. Who's the greatest actor? Well, let's have the Emmys or the Oscars and find out. Who gives a rip? Nobody cares. It doesn't matter. Who's the greatest athlete? I don't know. It doesn't matter. It doesn't affect my life in the least. But when it comes to Jesus, everything's on the line. Because what I believe about him affects my life every day and my entire afterlife. So you only got so much time to make up your mind. Make sure you choose well. Come to Christ while there's time. Be a believer. Let that living water flow in you and through you. You know, some of you are already excited for Easter, or Easter. Some, probably some of you are, but everybody's ready for, for fall. Right? Everybody's ready for Halloween. Some of you are already Christmas shopping. I know it. I hear that. So let's just get right into it. You remember Buddy the Elf, right? And he's testing the jack-in-the-boxes, right? And so he's crank, cranking that handle. And, you know, he knows it's coming. He knows it's coming. Every time it pops out, he's surprised, right? Over and over. It's coming, but I'm still so, And that's life. We, are, we all live this every day. We get up, sunrise. Sunset, go to work, come home, eat dinner, maybe work on the house a little bit, watch the ball game, go to bed, sunrise, sun. All the while, we know it's coming. It's, it, death is coming. But when it pops out, we're still surprised. Oh, I didn't know that was going to happen. You better live every day knowing it's going to happen. Are you ready for it? Come to Christ while there's time. If you're ready for that today, we're ready for you. You can come talk to somebody at the end of the service. Well, really, we're going to have some music playing. I'll have a couple of folks up here. You can text us. You can email us. Do whatever. But come ask questions. Come 
help me take my next step. Pray with me, whatever I'm going through right now. I want to get baptized today. We did another one at the first service, right after the service. Water's warm. Get wet today. We got towels and clothes and robes and hair dryers. It's all good. We're ready. Let's do this. Maybe uh, you're just at a place where like, okay, maybe I will come back next week. Let me check this out again. We're going to keep going. John chapter 8, the woman caught in adultery. Jesus has, is full of so much grace. Let him who is out sin cast the first stone. But he also says, go and sin no more. So we're going to talk about how do you live for Jesus? Can you keep on sinning or what, what's grace all about? Maybe invite somebody to come back tonight, 6.30. We got our Sunday night simple, which is what we're doing this morning, but just a little more stripped down, basic. Whatever decision you need to make today, you, know, you better make it today because you may not have a tomorrow. If you're a believer, a way to respond right now is through taking communion. So you come in every week, you get the, the cup and the, it has the bread and the juice in it and uh, that reminds us of Jesus' body and blood given on the cross. Helps us just have this little short time where we focus in on who Jesus is, what he's done, what it means to our lives. So this is a special important time. If you're not a Christ follower right now, just use this as a quiet time. Think, reflect, pray. But again, thinking about the last time, it's the last time I'm ever going to do something. You know, all those Jews who were in Jerusalem for the Feast of Tabernacles, of booths, they didn't realize, they had no idea it was the last time that feast would ever be celebrated legitimately. Now, they would come back next year and celebrate it again for a few more years until the temple was destroyed. But it really didn't mean anything anymore. Because once Jesus gave his life and rose, he put all that aside. It was all fulfilled. That feast had no more meaning. All the rituals and ceremonies and festivals of the Old Testament are no longer needed because Jesus fulfills everything. And the only feast we celebrate from here on out is what we do every Sunday called the Lord's Supper. So let's do that together now. Lord God, thank you for giving us this time to focus in on who Jesus is. We know that you, you gave us this meal so that we could remember your body given for us, your blood shed for us. And we're going to do this every Sunday to remember you, to remember the new covenant in your blood. God, that we would live for you more fully this week, that we would not be secret disciples, that we would just be out there uh, letting the world know that you're our Savior. God, for those who are going through difficulties, who have uh, a thirst, who have a hunger for you, for, for what's right, for what's good, for what's true, I pray that you would satisfy that today. I pray for those who need to make the best decision of their whole lives, that they wouldn't delay another moment, but they make that decision now while they have the time. God, we love you, we praise you, we honor you for being the one. We pray it in that name. Amen. You're free to come up to the...